we uh, spend this time worshiping together. I did want to share with you uh, one bit of news. Probably uh, most of you have already heard, but if you have not heard, uh, a good friend of ours, uh, Angelo Salandra, uh, died on Friday. And uh, I say that word to that, uh, and I'll share that in just a moment. Uh, he's a member of Hope. He's a member of Hope's leadership team, and he's been battling cancer for... So when I heard that uh, word on Friday... Uh, it was about noon, and I was uh, at Lowe's uh, getting some, some things, uh, and uh, I got into the car and was driving to my next destination, which was, I happened to be in Mount Laurel, and so I was in, he's driving, and I'm just taking the back roads like I usually do to avoid 73, and I was mourning the loss of, of Angelo, and I was, I, was, I was saddened. And then there was this transition, though, because... I was sad for him, and then I realized that, I, I heard in an email, it was at 12.07, Angelo died. But I had this moment where I was sad for him, and then I began celebrating. Because I know that at 12.07.1, however you want to describe that, that Angelo went from that hospital bed to the arms of Jesus. And yeah, let me tell you. I did not weep his death. I, I wept that I didn't get to be there with him during that moment. And I was celebrating with him. And I was driving and, and the radio was on and I was singing and I was thinking about all the things I'll miss about him and also excited that I'll see him again. And so that was, uh, it, it, it's happy for him now. Uh, I wanted to share with you that his funeral service will be this Thursday at the Voorhees campus uh, from 10 till 12 is visitation time and then at 12 noon be the service. And so if you would like more information about that, you can call the church office and they'll be happy to let you know about those things. Uh, so we begin a new series this morning uh, called uh, The Power of a Dream. And that series begins with a dream and it ends with a dream fulfillment. Uh, and so I started looking, thinking about dreams. And I don't dream, or at least I say that I don't dream. How many of you, do you remember your dreams? I don't typically remember my dream unless I talk about it right away. I'll often do this with Kelly as I say, I had the weirdest dream. And she'll say, what was it? I don't know. Like it, it's, it's in and out so quick. You know, I just don't remember. But your dreams are bizarre, right? They can be entertaining. They can be disturbing. They can be downright bizarre. Have you ever been, and I can do this in my dreams, have you ever been in a dream and you kind of wake up and you know you're in a dream, but you were enjoying it, and so you jump back into it? That's my favorite dream. It's like a movie then, right? And you're like, I'm living a movie. Mine are always chasing people, all right? I am always after somebody, all right? Uh, and I'm always fighting somebody in my dreams. It's exciting uh, for me anyway, all right? Dreams, though, are basically stories and images that our minds have created while we sleep. Uh, they can be very vivid. They can make you feel happy. They can make you feel sad. They can make you feel scared, right? And they may seem confusing, or they may be, may be perfectly rational. And there are so many different theories about dreams that we just really don't know, sure, don't know for sure. But here are some things. So Sigmund Freud, he had a lot to say about dreams. He considered dreams that they were an expression of repressed conflicts or desires, which were, and not a surprise, always sexual in nature. Uh, some researchers say that dreams have no purpose or meaning at all, and it's just nonsensical activity uh, in the sleeping brain. 
Others say dreams are necessary for mental, emotional, and physical health. And then the least glamorous explanation of dreams is that your brain is sort of going through a data dump. And you are just clearing out all of the day's useless memories and caching all of the valuable ones. That your brain is just doing that kind of thing. It would seem, though, that dreams exist for a couple reasons. They help problem solve, right? They uh, incorporate memories and they process emotions. That's why uh, you go to bed with a troubling thought. You may wake up with a solution in the morning or sometime during the night, you'll wake up after a dream and you'll feel better about the situation that you had found yourself in. Now, dreams in the ancient world were viewed as more significant than processing emotions or wish fulfillment. There, there was more to it than that. It was, and without an understanding of the human mind and all the things that we have uh, established and, and, and understood since then, it was the only plausible explanation that God must be communicating with the dreamer. And so we're going to begin this series this morning. It begins with a dream, and then it ends with dream fulfillment. And it's in Genesis uh, chapters 37 through 50. It is a great story. It's an Old Testament story. I love Old Testament stories. Uh, let me challenge you, if you haven't read it before, it's a story of Joseph uh, that you would uh, consider reading it over the month of June as we'll do this series all the way through June. And it is, uh, it's fun and exciting stuff. So I want to give you some background before we get started. But let me just say, remember last week when the air conditioning was broken. The custodians wanted to make sure we knew it was working this Sunday. Huh? Because I am freezing right now. <laughs> just just want to hug myself. <laughs> so uh, we'll, we'll, we're, you're not going to fall asleep for sure. Uh, if you do, you yeah, there we go. All right, so, so uh, let's get started. Some background. So Jacob is the son of Isaac and the grandson of Abraham. God's promise to Abraham would be fulfilled through Jacob's line, and that story begins actually in Genesis chapter 12. So if you wanted to go back even further to read about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that begins in chapter 12, and then that story continues all the way through because Joseph is uh, Jacob's son, and that story continues all the way through the Genesis chapter 50, okay? So you read that. It's great stuff. Uh, Jacob's family is a nomadic agrarian family. In other words, it's, uh, the system is it's about shepherds and farmers, all right? And so they traveled, would stay in an area that they're able to stay in to uh, raise crops, uh, but they would travel with their, with their livestock, with their sheep, to, uh, to make sure there was always a place for them to, uh, to, to graze. Uh, Jacob had multiple wives. Uh, this polygamy was culturally acceptable in this time. And Joseph's story is a decades-long story. And so what we're going to read now is the beginning of that story. It's up on the screen. It's chapter 37, and it begins with verse 2. And so it begins this way. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. So Joseph here in this story is 17 years old. 
He's the second youngest of the brothers in this story, and there are ten brothers in all. Now, this is a dysfunctional family gone terribly wrong. Just some things about this family. Jacob, let's start with Jacob the father. His name means deceiver. That gives you kind of an idea where this story could be headed, right? And where this story has come from. It tells you a little bit about Jacob himself. If you read the Old Testament story, you'll see that he has a habitual sin of deception. But that's not his only habitual sin. He also plays favorites. Not just something he does on occasion, it seems to be part of who he is. He, Jacob has several wives, I mentioned that, and he had a favorite wife. Imagine how that went. And he makes his favoritism evident among the other wives. He also has a favorite son, and a son of his favorite wife. And again, he doesn't hide his favoritism. So Jacob chooses to give his favorite son, Joseph, a special robe signifying his favorite status. So his favoritism toward Joseph is shown in his speech, it's shown in his actions, and now in a special gift worn by Joseph. Now this, this coat that he's given, this robe that he's given, had long sleeves on it. It wasn't technicolor, and it wasn't multicolored, sorry Broadway, uh, but it wasn't, okay? It had long sleeves, and the long sleeves meant that it was not a working robe. It signified that Joseph had a greater status than his brothers. It identified him with position, birthright, privilege, and status. And so Jacob sets all of this into motion. The brothers respond to this favoritism, as you would expect brothers could respond to it. They experience and see this favoritism. It's thrown into their face at every turn. And so they have incredible envy and jealousy and hatred toward their brother. And this hatred and jealousy ran so deeply that they could not say a kind word to Joseph. And it's going to be far worse than that. Kind words are the, or the lack of kind words is the best thing they could have done. We're going to find out soon. Can you imagine the conversation around the dinner table? When Joseph shows up with his fine coat on and all the brothers are there. And then there's Joseph. He's 17 years old. Now, apologies to any 17-year-olds who might be here. But he's immature and he's arrogant. When I was 17, I was immature and arrogant. I remember those days. And he's a tattletale. Joseph reports back to his father about his brothers. Now we're going to find out that his father encouraged him to do that as well. Right? Now imagine this. Here he is. He's in a coat that says that he's more important than them. That he has status that they don't have. And when he shows up at the work site, he's taking notes to give back to dad on how the brothers have been acting, living, working, etc. Right? Imagine. And so the writer seems to tell us, the writer of Genesis seems to let us know that this isn't a one-time tattletaling event, but something that he practiced regularly. And so Joseph, throughout this story, and throughout the early parts of the story, at least here in this section, is, 
is not honorable and doesn't seem very admirable. But yet the story of Joseph is somebody who is a person with great integrity, someone with great honor, someone who we would admire. But not here in this, not right here in this episode. So somewhere in Joseph's journey, he overcomes his dysfunctional upbringing. Anybody else had to over? No, you don't have to raise your hand for that. Had to overcome your overcoming your family of origin, right? Overcoming that, Joseph has to do that at some point. So here in this story, we have favoritism, envy, hatred, arrogance, and tattletaling, gossiping, and informing. This is a family that puts the fun in dysfunction. It could be a lifetime movie, right? Could be, it could be. All right, so the story goes on. It's up on the screen. It says this. One night, Joseph had a dream. His brain was downloading and caching all the information. One night, Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field, tying up bundles of grain, and suddenly, my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before me. Isn't that exciting, guys? And his brothers responded. You bet they responded. So you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. So Joseph has a dream and he thinks it's a really good dream, right? And a really bad dream for his brothers. And so he does what every brother would do in that situation. He tells everybody else, right? Guess what I just dreamed. Now, there are some Jewish commentators who have trouble with Joseph's behavior because Joseph is seen as this admirable, honorable guy. But in this moment, he doesn't seem so, right? The act of dreaming the dream itself, one commentator says, was reprehensible as it exhibited visions of grandeur that Joseph obviously nursed during his wakeful moments. That's what this commentator is suggesting. That, 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 uh, they, that the dream is wish fulfillment. That Joseph wanted to be honored and have his brothers bow before him. I mean, he did have the coat, right? His father did put him in that position, so you guys should consider honoring me. Some commentators even understand that the brother's hatred of Joseph, if he acted like this often and expressed shock, that he would reveal not just one but two dreams because he was on to do this again. It's up on the screen. Soon Joseph had another dream. Now, we don't know how soon, but next day, next week, next month, he, maybe he let those guys linger on that one a little bit. We don't know. Soon Joseph had another dream, and again he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream. So exciting, guys. This is exciting. The sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed low before me. So now he brings mom and dad into this. This time he told the dream to his father as well as his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. 
So he shares this dream with his brothers and his father, and the brothers are even more jealous than before. And it kind of sets the story into motion. But Joseph seems to be afflicted with some sort of pride that is often apparent among the favored and the blessed. He was so focused on how great his dreams were for him, he didn't begin to consider how the dreams would sound in the ears of others. You know, that can happen to us. We can become blind to our blessing, right? Blind to Haiti that when we're there, we'll be driving, and those who have gone for the first time will often say innocently, why do they live like this? And we as this 21st century uh, modern Americans would look at the situation and we immediately begin to problem solve. You'll see that there are plastic, there's plastic bottles everywhere. Pla the, the roads are paved with plastic bottles. And someone says, you know what we should do? We should start a recycling business here. And it's just our 21st century modern thought. People will say, why are they burning their trash? That seems like it's pollution. But where would the trash trucks come from to pick up the trash? And so we become blind to our favor. We become blind to what's available to us. And there are those, and this is what's happened to Joseph. He's become blind to his blessings. He doesn't seem to care or have any consideration for his brother's feelings or how his brother's might respond. Favoritism has blinded him. And so this is how the story begins. Fear, jealousy, anxiety, and envy. And the brothers will, be, will attempt to sabotage Joseph and sabotage dreams so that they cannot come true. And we're going to see Joseph's story is a story of ups and downs and of hills and valleys. And to get from dream to reality will require both ups and downs and hills and valleys. And that's so true for all of us in life as well. That sometimes we have ups and sometimes we have hills in life and things are going so well. And sometimes it's our doing and sometimes it's the doing of others and sometimes it's circumstances and sometimes it's yet to be determined whether it's us whether it's circumstance, whether it's someone else. And sometimes there are valleys and there's downtimes and where we don't know what's gonna, what we're going to do next. And again, we don't know if it's our own doing. We don't know if it's the doing of others. And sometimes it's just the circumstance. And sometimes it's still yet to be determined. But hills and valleys and ups and downs is of life. I found this image. It's up on the screen from, about Joseph's life. You see, he goes from favorite son, to slavery, to Potiphar's household, to imprisonment, to prison manager, to more imprisonment, to being second in command in Egypt. And if you were to map out your life, it probably has similar hills and valleys. So dreams are goals and visions that excite our hearts and fill our soul. Dreams are visions about what you want your life to be. And for Christ followers, dreams often do not originate with you. That God has designed each of us to have these dreams, and God puts those dreams into our hearts and our minds, and God may be the source of your dreams. And so some questions to ask as we go through this series. You might want to write these down. Uh, some questions you might want to ask is, what's on the horizon for me? What am I organizing my life around? What dreams do I have? And is God the source of that dream? And how do I turn a dream 
into a vision. Now let me clarify just a little bit, a little there. The difference between a dream and a vision. A dream is kind of a conceptual idea. All right, so a dream, uh, for an example, a dream would be starting a campus of Hope Church. That was a dream, all right? That dream happened years ago. The dream turned into a vision when specifics were put around it. When we began to think the where and the what and the when and the why and the how, and then it went from dream to vision. So dream is more concept, vision is more specific. So two things I want us to talk about this morning, or two things I want you to take home with you this morning. Cool, the clock's on zero, dynamite. Two things. The ancient Near East had something called, I'm calling them local gods, there may be another way of to, to identify it, but I'm calling them local gods. For instance, in Babylon, the guard was Marduk. In Baal, the god was uh, or in Canaan, the god was Baal, and in Egypt, the god was Amon-Re. The gods basically had a territory, or the gods had a zip code. And so if you were from Egypt, you worshipped Amon-Re. If you were from uh, uh, Babylon, then you worshipped Marduk. And, and uh, the gods only had power over their territory. The ancient world did not understand or did not believe in omnipotence or omniscience or omnipresence. But in the Old Testament, in the story of Joseph, and even before and certainly after, we will see that God is, and there's a word that's used often in the story, that God was with Joseph. That God was with Joseph wherever he was. And so the Jewish understanding of God's presence was this. If you look all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, it says that God is present hovering over the heavens and the earth that God was present. In Genesis chapter 3, it says that God is walking in the garden before the fall. When the Israelites are brought out of Egypt in the Exodus, and while they wandered in the wilderness to the promise, wander through the wilderness, it says that God's presence accompanied them as a pillar of fire by as a, as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And right before David defeats the giant Goliath, he tells Saul he can in fact face this impossible mission to defeat their enemy because God would be with him. And the Old Testament prophets tell the same story. They foretell of Jesus' birth. And Isaiah wrote, and we read it at Christmas time, and he will be called Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. And Jesus, after he's crucified and resurrected, he meets with his disciples, and before he left, he said to them, and be sure of this, I am with you always. Paul David Tripp uh, said this, Jesus is Emmanuel, so there is never a situation, location, or experience where you are left to yourself. And so woven throughout Scripture, from Genesis all the way through Revelation, is this idea that God is the with us God. The with us God. See, Joseph may not have been aware of what 
God was doing. He may not have even felt close to God, but we can see God at work throughout the whole story. See, Joseph's story will show us that God is with us when we face broken relationships, when we're wrongfully accused, when we're tempted, even through dream interpreting and famine, when we have to, even when we have to forgive our enemies, God is with us because God is the with us God. Through all the ups and all the downs, through all the hills and all the valleys, God is with us. We may not be aware of God's presence. We may not even feel close to God in our experience. But as our story unfolds, we'll see that God has been at work throughout the whole story because God is a with us God. So if you're, in fighting, if you're fighting an incurable pain or heartache, if you have debilitating debt, if you're facing infertility, hatred, betrayal, brokenness, loneliness, or divorce, or any other named or unnamed valley, even death. What does Psalm 23 say? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, because the with us God is there, even in death. The challenges may seem too great and too many, but God is with you because God is the with us God. God's with you and me now, even when we can't feel God, even when God seems far away. You can't outrun God. You can't be too far away from God. You can't be in a place where God can't find you because God is a with us God. And the with us, the with us God is on the train and in the traffic. The with us God is in our meetings on Tuesday, right? No work on Monday. God sees your calendars, God knows your agenda, and God is with you. At your doctor appointments, with you during school finals, and even family dinners, in all that you do. And so we have this story of Joseph, who is loved and hated. He's favored and abused. He's tempted and he's trusted. Yet at no point in his life was Joseph ever without God because God is a with us God. Even in our darkest pit, our worst situation or our worst circumstance, God's with us because God's a with us God. And so this with us God has one great love. And this is the story that we'll see is woven throughout the story of Joseph. That God loves the dreamer more than God loves the dream. That God loves the dreamer more than God loves the dream. You see, your dream and my dream are important to God. Dreams are important to God, but never at the sacrifice of the dreamer. See, Joseph's story begins with a dream and then is rudely and suddenly interrupted in an attempt to circumvent and change the dream. Next week, we'll see that as soon as the, the brothers had an opportunity, they found a way to end this dream and end the dreamer as well. And they think to kill him, and they instead sell him as, sla as a slave. So nice. What good brothers. <laughs> and Joseph's life is catapulted into a dramatic adventure across cultures, and he is thrust into some dark, dark times. And the dreamer is always of utmost importance to God. God loves the dreamer more than the dream. 
God is most interested in you more than what you can do or will do. You are of greater value than anything you have done or will do for God. God loves the dreamer more than the dream. And so the hills and the valleys and the ups and the downs are the path that God is using to love and build into you, the dreamer. Ephesians chapter 1 says this, it's up on the screen. Long before, long before he'd laid down earth's foundation, what's it say? He had us in mind. That sounds like someone who loves the dreamer, doesn't it? He had us in mind, had settled on us as what? The focus of his love. Now, here's what I think is really cool about that. The focus of his love. This isn't just God loves humanity. This is a laser-beamed focus of love that God loves you and me, that God knows our name, that God knows our situation, that God knows where we are, whether it's a hill or a valley, that God's with us in this. He had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family, to make us as closely close as possible through Jesus Christ. And what pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. God loves the dreamer. God loves the dreamer. So some things we'll see in Joseph's story over the, next, over the next month. God loves the dreamer more than a dream. Joseph's pain became the key to his greatness, unknowingly leading him toward God's dream. The valleys in Joseph's life will be the building blocks to grow Joseph and the steps to fulfilling God's dream for Joseph's life and the lives of others. And so all of this, because God loves the dreamer more than God loves the dream. And so for us here as a community, what does that mean? As a hope community, what does that mean for us? God's most interested in you. Each of us, individually and corporately. God is with us because God is a with us God. And so God travels through zip codes for us. And so God's with us in Mount Laurel. And God cares about Mount Laurel and the dream for Mount Laurel more than we do. And God loves us, each one of us the dreamers, more than God loves the dream. And that God has given us a dream, however, God's love for you and I is immeasurable. This is about you and me. It's about what God is teaching you and me. So Natalie Grant has this song, and I'm sorry, Lonnie, I thought of it at the last minute, otherwise I would have suggested we sing it. It says this, the lyrics are this, help me want the healer more than the healing. Help me want the savior more than the saving. Help me want the giver more than the giving. And help me want you, Jesus, more than anything. See, I've been trying to, as, after I heard that song and, and realized it fit the message, I'm trying to change my journal entries because I find that a lot of times it's, it turns into, and I don't say it this way, but when I go back and reread it, it turns into, God, I want, I want, I want, I want. And it shouldn't be that. And so I've tried to change it to, God, I want you. And so the rest of the stuff, however it happens, I'm okay with that. I want you. So I'm going to try and focus on that. Is that I want to pray and I want to write and ask for the with us God to be with me.
And whether there's healing or saving or giving or anything else, that's secondary to me having God. Because he loves me more than any dream I would have. And so for you, I don't know where you are right now. God loves you, the dreamer, and God is with you in whatever you're, whether you're in a hill or a valley. That with us, God is with you and God loves you. God is most in love with you more than answering your prayers. God is most in love with you more than what you can do or have ever done. And God is most in love with you more than getting you through your circumstance. And believe that God is using the circumstances in your life to form you and to grow you and to make you. Sometimes you have to speak to your circumstances and you have to remind yourself that the same God who brought you through past pain and past trials and past disappointments and past tragedies and past heartaches is the same God who will get you through this. Because we have a with us God who loves the dreamer more than the dream. The God, the with us God loves you. And is with you whether you're in a hill or a valley. And loves you immeasurably more than you can ever imagine. More than any dream you could dream. God's greatest dream is for you to be in close, intimate relationship with him. And the circumstances that we have in life and those things that we go through in life are all about God shaping us towards being men and women that God's called us to be. Will you stand with me for closing prayer? And so God, I thank you for this time that we've had to worship. God, I, I thank you for, uh, I thank you for uh, this weekend, this time that we can uh, uh, be with family, be with friends, and we can uh, uh, have tomorrow, for many of us, not a day of work. And God, we thank you for simple things like um, air conditioning. And we thank you, God, for him without, like, freedom. And God, but mostly we thank you for, for the life that you've given us and for the forgiveness you provide for us through Jesus. And so, God, as we uh, embark on this series of looking at the life of Joseph and how 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 you led him through the hills and valleys of life, leading him towards dream fulfillment, honing and changing and redirecting, and even in some ways reformatting. So that the dream that Joseph had will become the vision for his life. God, I pray that would be for each of us, that we would know the, where we are what you have for us, and where you are pointing us to go. And that, God, for those of us on those hilltop moments of life right now, we are grateful for that. And, God, those of us who are in the valleys, whatever that valley may be, it may seem very dark. And, God, we look for you the with us, God, to be there through this time. And now, God, as we go, I pray that we would go knowing that you love us immeasurably more than we can imagine, 
that there's no one that loves us the way you do. And that you love us more than any idea, any thought, any plan we would have for you. God, you love us more than every dream. And God, that we would know that there's a world out there that is desperate to know that kind of love, the kind of love that would die so that we could live. And God, we thank you for these things and pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You guys have a great day.